Welcome to Same Old City, an independent York City fans podcast. My name's Simon Kraft, and who is with me today? It's me, Ben Aspinall. And me, Ben Robinson, long-time listener, first-time caller. That's right, so all change at City with Neil Adley being announced as manager, and it's all change here at the podcast as well with our first ever guest, Exciting Times. And Ben is going to be reporting on the incident at Ebbsfleet, shall we call it, uh, on Saturday. He was there. And yeah, the, the big change at the club, though, just been announced two hours ago, is that Neil Adley is the new club manager. Um, nice of them to to time it so nicely for our reaction, but it hasn't given us much time to prepare any puns. You could say they've given us hardly any time to prepare. Oh, Simon, that's terrible. You made a right Neil of that. A right Neil of that. Oh, yeah, 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 good one. So yeah, I guess we should just start straight with that. And the big question really everyone's asking is, surely that's not how you spell Neil, is it? <laughs> it's a big question. And also the good people at Vanarama, they know the score with uh, spelling Neil incorrectly in the welcoming tweet uh, that we were tagged into. That was great. Well, start as you mean to go on, you know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen inevitably and people are going to mm-hmm. jump in correcting it but yeah um but yeah what, what's everyone's sort of reaction what's your thoughts we did cover him amongst other candidates briefly last week uh now it's been announced feels like it's dragged on for quite a while but actually it was only just over a week mm. what's your initial reaction please do the appointment think it's a positive move i think so i am i'd say content to, to please i think uh, maybe we were spoiled a little bit by the rumors of uh your cowleys and your moors um, and also, like um, the up and comers, like uh, like Williamson at Gateshead there, uh, as well as Parkinson at Altrincham. But I think if you take a step back from that and really look at Adley, you look at his stats, and you look at what he managed to do with Solihull, and maybe to a lesser extent towards the end of his time at Notts County, um, I think it's very, very solid. I think it's a bit of a cliche term to use in this, in this instance, but I think solid's the word. He's been there and done that. I mean, at, at Solihull, he was bankrolled quite a bit, I think that's fair to say. I appreciate that's a bit of a, you know, easy thing to say a lot of teams at level you know have to spend a lot of money but Solihull perhaps perhaps more so than other teams you know so they had the uh, the guy who used to own I think it was Oxford United and he came in and, and put a lot of money into them so um he's worked with um you know quite a higher budget before maybe that's part of the appeal in coming to York we will have to see but um, I'm content I'm, I'm, I'm quite looking forward now to Saturday more so than I was before and um yeah I do think um on reflection he's the right man for the job yeah I'd don't think we can use bankroll as an insult anymore, unfortunately. It's a uh, good point well made. But um yeah, and, and Ben Robinson, helpfully we've we've got our first guest as someone with the same <laughs> name as one of the hosts. Um so I'm gonna have to use full names. Um uh, but yeah, what's your thoughts on, on Ardley? Are you in favour as well? Yeah, I think he is the, the safe choice, isn't he? Really, when you looked at all the um, options we could have had, he's someone who's been in this league. He's been in relegation battles with Wimbledon and turned that around when they looked destined to go down. He's then taken Wimbledon from that relegation battle and up through League Two via the playoffs. He got Notts County and Solio both to a playoff final. Um, I, I don't think you can really argue with his record, really. I think he's he is the safe appointment. Is he the one that's really going to excite you? Like, as Ben said about, you know, Darren Moore or the Cowleys coming in that... Perhaps is that big draw of the name, not necessarily. And like you say, he's not an upcomer like Phil Parkinson, who might have hit a ceiling with Ultringham. 
So I think, yeah, Hardley is the safe choice. And I'm, I'm content to please, as Ben would say about him. I think it, it, you'll just someone to steady that shit that seems a bit chaotic at the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I do have I... to ask. Uh, I have to ask Ben if you don't mind. Like, do you remember the Solihull defeat at home last season? Do you remember how Solihull played the uh, the mid? I think it was during a win towards that we got beat three two by Solihull. Do you remember much about that match? Uh, yeah, I remember bits. I remember that one thing I was really impressed with them is that every time they went behind, they came back almost. There was that sort of fight mm. in them, that resolution. Uh, we do have to remember in that game, of course, it was the last game of the Webolution, uh, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it was televised. Um, and <laughs> our players were just all over the shop. But, yeah, I think from what I can remember of that game, that mm-hmm. Solihull was solid, played all right kind of football. You know, everyone dreams about this lovely Barca style of play nowadays that we are now going to bring to the Vanarama. But, yeah, I think he's someone that will that did manage to turn Solihull around uh in that game and just kept them going. I hope, I think that's what we've been missing a lot of this season is 90 mm-hmm. minutes of football. Yeah. I, I think I'd echo what both of you say. And then it's probably the safe bet, um, which mm. is probably not a bad thing when we're such a basket case of a club at the moment. Yeah. I don't know much too much about his st- preferred style of play, obviously slightly biased maybe by him having spent so long at Wimbledon in the 90s to thinking maybe he, <laughs> he, he favours that but I don't think he's necessarily got a reputation for that kind of hoofball hmm. um, or crazy gang antics necessarily um, I did but, um, have a look at his sort of player finals he had with Wimbledon um, Notts County and Solihull just to see what formations he played to see if there was a standard formation and I think he was 4-4-2 with Wimbledon eight years ago to a four three three with Notts County three years ago, to a four three two one in uh, the Solihull final. So he's someone who can play different styles of football as well, or adapts to the time, so to speak, um, which I was quite impressed by. But that's only me looking at three games of finals. It, it doesn't tell you too much, but uh, I was impressed with that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that follows on nicely from Mikey Martin changing the formation every week. But yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he. Is going to bring some success. I think no one really is going to care what formation it is, what the style of play is necessarily, as long as we're moving up, you know, the right direction in the league table. Mm-hmm. Everyone likes the idea of, you know, uh, attractive football, but we've had managers where they maybe prioritise results over that, and it was still, you know, the fans still got behind that as long as they can mm-hmm. see the, the effort and the results on the pitch. I think that's probably the main thing. Very, very fair. Any anything you'd like to see him change immediately, or anything anything you're expecting to see? I mean, I, one thing I would highlight is maybe some of the backroom or coaching staff, yeah, that have yeah. been working with Morton. Maybe it's time for a sort of refresh of that. I don't know whether he's planning to bring his own people in, but um, I don't think they've necessarily covered themselves in glory in terms of the fitness issues of the squad in terms of how disorganised we've looked, it feels like maybe, you know, that area of the club needs a refresh as well, would you say? I think that's very fair. I think when we were all kind of thinking, yeah, Mike, Mikey can do a job, you know, Mikey deserves having a good a chance at this job. He kind of brought in, not not loads of his mates, I think that's very disingenuous and very unfair, but he, I think one of his one of his backroom staff, I think is a, someone he knows from school, you know, somebody he grew up with and he, he knows inside out, which, you know, I had, I had no problem with at the time. But I don't know if that translates well into in, in what is a results-based business. Um, you know, will such characters be kept around? I don't think Tony McMahon will be 
kept on. He might be. I don't know, but I get the impression he won't be, especially after what happened on Saturday. Um, yeah, considering how, I thought for want of a better phrase, perhaps uninspiring he was pre and post match. Um, but you know, you, you don't know. I would presume Adley may bring back some staff members from previous roles, or he may have some new characters in mind. But he strikes me as because of his experience. He strikes me as a bloke who's gonna he's gonna want to do it his way. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Ben? It changes no, your hope. I totally agree that. You know, I think I think there will be some changes. I think the big key thing that we've said the whole season so far is fitness. Like something has gone wrong there. You know, especially when you've got Mikey Morton saying it was Premier League fitness, and players mm-hmm. are saying that you know they've never known a regime like it um, in terms of their preseason training. It's it's concerning. It really is the fact that you know he's got the full time footballers that are heavily breathing out of you know, after 60 minutes every game. And it's not like, you could maybe accept it for like the first week or two because we had a bit of a late start to pre-season. But mm. now you're a bit like, what is going on? You know, and this is coming from a man who gets out of breath just walking up the stairs. Like, it's, <laughs> it is worrying that as a full-time professional footballer that half of them seem to be, you know, blowing out of their backside by the time it gets to the hour mark. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one other thing which will be interesting is Obviously, when new managers come in, they often want to bring in a few new players, maybe who they know from mm. previous clubs, or they, they spot a few gaps and they think, oh, this guy could do a job. I mean, we've got 97 players in our squad already, so is there going to be... <laughs> I haven't counted, but it's a, rough, it's a rough approximate of that. Do you think he's going to be given a blank checkbook to go out and get more players, or is it going to be a case of, this is what we've got, this is what you're working with? I do have to ask Ben Robinson in terms of your research, uh, you know, looking at those those past playoff games. Did you just happen to click on any on any left backs in those lineups, or have a quick look at those profiles, just out of interest? Uh, I didn't, but I did ah. notice um, when I was going through. Uh, there is a player who scored in that playoff final for Wimbledon uh, against mm. Plymouth, who is currently a free agent and he's thirty three years old. Mm. Uh, Lyle Taylor. Now, I'm not saying we are going to get him when he's just caught, left Forest and Birmingham City and that sort of championship mm. standard. But I did kind of go, we do have a bit of cash behind us now. He mm. is a free agent. I don't really know fully what's happened, but could he be tempted on a short-term contract perhaps to get back into football? But there's also that Kyle Hudlin uh, played up front for Solihull. Um, of course, who, yes. Yes, I remember him. Who we were heavily linked with over the summer. We were, weren't uh, we? Huddersfield. Yes. So it, it was just it, that's the only links I was kind of sort of half making of oh potentially, but no, I didn't look for any left backs. Sadly, <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting shout with with Lyle Taylor and Hudlin as well because it seems like we do still need another striker as good as Dippo is. You know, when if, if only if only we had a striker on our books who was getting assists and scoring goals at a level not too dissimilar to the one that we're presently playing at, but I guess. I guess that's just a dream, isn't it? A far off. You're referring to the Ethan main Henderson man. back at Northampton Town, is he already? <laughs> I think he was. He was only on the bench there anyway, wasn't he? So. <laughs> but yeah, that's a reference to Cedric Main. Just so everyone's fully aware in there, out there, yes, who's doing very well for uh, for Blythe on loan at the moment. But let's look back at the weekend then. Um, so yeah, we're going to look at Ebbsfleet game. We're going to briefly look forward to this weekend's game against Boreham Wood. And then uh, for this week's retro section, uh, for the first time, we're going to be looking at a player in particular, and that is uh, Clayton Donaldson. So quite excited about that one. Should be good. So let's take a look at Ebbsfleet United for York City 1. 
And that's that section done. So now moving on to the looking ahead at Boreham Wood. If only we could do that. Um, mm. Well, I mean, let's start with with the obvious, you know, how, how we followed along with this. I've only watched the highlights and even that was difficult. Um, <laughs> I know Ben, Ben A, I think, were you watching on a stream? You're out of the country again? Yep, I left the country temporarily on the uh, the Kentwix helicopter and I was somewhere over the North Sea uh, watching this game on a stream. Uh, so I got to watch the full horror, but um, for the full HD horror, I believe you have to go to our to our good friend, Mr. Robinson, don't we? Yeah, um, I tried to leave the country as well on the Euro <laughs> tunnel, but sadly it called it Absolute United. Um, so I got off at that train station. And yeah, you know what? It was absolutely fantastic when we went around Gravesend uh, in a few nice little pubs, sat on by the River Thames that for once actually looked quite nice in the sunshine few little pints there had a lovely michael miles with us from the wife run fanzine and then we decided to head to stonebridge road where um i think it's fair to say things took a turn for the worse the free doors is a, a fantastic drinking establishment in gravesend um so ben you chose very well going there oh well thankfully uh it wasn't me choosing where we went so uh <laughs> yes it, however it was absolutely fantastic so shout out to the man who took us there he knows who he is <laughs> yeah unfortunately we do have to move on to the the game itself the first thing to say is have to give credit where it's due last week ben i called you out on on saying that morton wasn't going to be sacked after the bank holiday weekend um i haven't got the clip ready this time but you did make reference to ebb's fleet rolling in a fourth goal i so did it, say four nil inside an hour didn't i yeah and so, so pretty one off sort of yeah i'll see if i can find that clip and, and add it in <laughs> you're praying at the very least that you've got uh, a newly appointed manager sat in the stands with Kelly and uh, Matt Ugler pondering and reflecting as uh, absolutely make it 4-0 inside the uh, first hour I'm being very negative there for the point of humour um, but yeah let's start with the formation so uh, Morton had been tinkering a lot, obviously, in his games. And so in the, the Tony McMahon era, we saw the team sheet. It's got two centre-backs in there. It's got a right-back. It's got a left-back. All might make sense. So obviously, we're playing three at the back. It's what we've had every game in the past few weeks, really, in terms of what on earth is going on, almost. You look at the players, and it's like they're not playing in a formation that really fits what we could have available. And... Um, I've not been a fan of the sort of three at the back this year because I don't think they know how to play it. Uh, and mm. that's no sort of criticism towards them, but I feel that either Morton or whoever has not prepared them right for what they should be doing once the transition uh, has <laughs> occurred. And um, once we've lost the ball or they're playing through, where they need to shift to, uh, I mean, in one of the goals, I'm sure we'll come on to it, you can see that Fallowfield's being pulled right across. Latty Fairweather's nowhere to be seen. Howe is yeah. just far too deep compared to um, Cordner. And you just sort of look... I always remember Arsene Wenger, uh, back in the good old days of the Arsenal uh, Invincibles, what he did was um, he got all the players had a rope and they were all in a line, it's back four, and that rope was to stop them going too far away from each other in training. And I just, you look at our defence when we play three at the back and they're not sure where they should be going. Mm -hmm. And to add to that very quickly, I think it's, I think you're totally right there, Ben. And just to add to it, it's the fact that you've got 
three of them, but two of them are always going to be Howan Cordner. And the other one's either um, Crooks, who I think can do that role. I think he can be the left of a three. But then, because he's suspended, you've got Fallowfield doing it, who I don't think is as good at it. I mean, was he doing it? Was it, or was it, um... No, yeah, it was Fallowfield in the back three. That was yeah, what I was going to mention. It was it's... Fairweather, wasn't it, at, at the wing back? So it's part of it is whether yeah whether they've been trained for the system but also whether you're actually using players who can play that system because we had yeah crooks played in a back three last year but we had ando there one game earlier this season who mm-hmm. didn't look that comfortable and then yeah fallowfield you certainly wouldn't have him down as you know a, a makeshift center back or i wouldn't anyway I, he's his strength is bombing up and down the the flank uh, mm-hmm. someone like duckworth if he was fit could have could have filled in there but yeah it seemed a very odd choice as we'll see when we when we look at some of the goals so the start of the game seemed like Ebsfleet had a few early chances just watching the highlights there was a a couple of decent saves by Ryan Whiteley as the Ebsfleet commentator kept referring to um, yeah, it was funny that the absolute commentator on the highlights was saying Whiteley, but also Radio Kent covering a game on the live stream was saying Whiteley. Big they countdown nearly got, fans. They nearly got an angry tweet off uh, off your boy, Ben. They nearly did. <laughs> um, but yeah, they they were sort of having the bulk of the play. Um, was that how you sensed the opening exchanges in the ground, Ben? Oh, 100%. You just felt from kickoff that... Ebsfleet, um, the artist formerly known as Graves and the Northfleet, had all the possession, really. we It took us a good 10, 20 minutes to properly even sort of get a hold on the game or get a few, you know, passages of play together. You just felt that a goal was coming, you know, at some point. There was that early chance, of, I think, from Polion where he sort of turned and he just he put it right across the face of goal. I think Whitley just managed to tip it over. Ebsfleet, looked like they wanted to win it from the off. We just looked like we were there to kind of hold the fort while we didn't have a manager. That's what that opening exchange is felt like a bit. So they had quite a few chances. And then in the 19th minute, the ball fell to Amari Sterling James, who, well, how would you describe that? It was a, it was a powerfully struck shot that nestled into the... T- oh, no, wait, it was a weird little, <laughs> weak little dink. That somehow crept into the corner of the net. I, I've watched it several times. I still don't really understand what happened. Was that one that you had a good view of in the ground? Did did you see you know where the mistake was? Yeah, we were right in line with it. Um, I think the first obvious mistake is no one really closes him down from the short corner. So obviously they've dragged out our man to play it really short and then just played it out to him, the uh, Amari Sterling on the sort of edge of the box and. It's a very weird kind of ball into the box. It it's like a half kind of he thought he was going to shoot, and then half kind of decided mm. not to last second, and it comes in as a bit of a cross, and you can see it sort of going into the bottom corner. I think there's almost maybe two people who are kind of in that final sort of stage that you could call out here of Paddy um, when the ball just comes in, and yes, he has got a man that he's marking, but you just think boot on it, Paddy. You know you've got the opportunity potentially to absolutely just get it right out and, you know, clear your lines and then clear the box. And then Whitley. Um, I'm a bit dismayed as to what he was thinking, really, if even if he was thinking. He's kind of gone down onto one knee, um, you know, so maybe hardly will like him because he's a Neil Link. Um, like but it. it just crept in and it wasn't... He's, he's so close to it and he hasn't really sort of outstretched for it and... 
I think he was maybe expecting the deflection or the uh, strikers to just get their foot on it to maybe change direction, but it just it just felt that um, you know Whitley didn't really get it. he should have had it. You know, it should have, yes. have been clear. But communication, you know, if one of them, you know, said leave it or claim it, it might have just made that little bit of a difference. But thankfully, that was the only mistake he made. <laughs> um, yeah. The only explanation I can think of is either he somehow thought it was going wide and left it because it did curl a bit or it literally just bounced under his arm or something. I don't know. But um, but yeah. My, my, my theory is like, I think it's just, he just stops concentrating for a split moment. He just looks away from where the ball is and where his arms are and just looks. He just doesn't think it can happen to anyone. And unfortunately, I think I, it just strikes me as that. It just strikes me as a breakdown in concentration. Yeah. But um, yeah, not a good start to the game. Um, but we did, fairly soon after that, uh, get back on level terms. So the equaliser, the way I saw it was, it was sort of all about Dippo really using his strength um, to oh. outmuscle a defender, plays the ball across, well it sort of bobbles off one of their defenders, lands to Siziba, um, and fair play to him, he's had quite a few critics, but he, he takes this goal really nicely. How did you sort of see that one? Um, I saw it because after our first goal conceded, I decided to go to the bar and shout out to Mr. Mark Devenham, who found a perfect little gap where we could see most of the pitch from the bar. But obviously we didn't look through it because that would be against uh, the Football Licensing Act. Uh, But from what I did see, it was absolutely sort of a fantastic ball across the dip. And the way he just shrugs his man off, um, Uh, you know, he really is the player that is worth 250 grand or however much we paid for him in that region. He really is the player that's living up to uh, his money's worth. And he, we do get a little bit lucky when he plays it across and, it, like you say, it bobbles off the defender, takes that deflection to Saziba. What a strike, though, from him, though. To be able to just quickly turn and shoot and put it in that top corner, um, like I say, he's had his critics, but it shows there is a player there and why we have signed him because of those quick reactions. You know, I think it was brilliant from Dippo to find a space, brilliant for Saziba to just stay away from a man on the edge of the box. And then that quick little turn to put it in the top corner was it was the best play we did all game. Um, mm-hmm. And it resulted in a goal. And it's a shame that that was really the, the best we did um, in yeah. terms of sort of clear-cut chances. What I did find quite interesting was I noticed on both um, the Ebsley in-house highlights and actually the stream I was watching live with the um, Radio Ken commentary, they were very complimentary around this point, um, before and after the equaliser, of our play, they were praising the midfield. Um, I think uh, Batu was starting to get into it a little bit more. Maz, I thought, played reasonably well again. Um, and obviously, um, the effect that Dippo was having on their their defence, they actually seemed quite scared of him. The way he managed to shrug off, um, I believe it's Luke O'Neill for you know for the build up to the equaliser. I think we kind of had them rattled a little bit, and we could have you know pressed further forward. Um, at that, I think at that point, it was probably the high point of our performance in this match. I don't know um, how it felt at the time uh, in the ground there, Ben, but I'll say something I picked up on. Yeah, no, I'd agree with what you're saying there. It felt in the ground as if we were finally starting to come into it a bit more. The crowd mm. was starting to get behind them. You're saying like the passing of play, people were starting to link up a bit. What I will say about Batty is um, his dead balls are pretty good. Uh, you know, mm. I have said for ages about our dead balls are either going over all the men or just not quite getting past the first man. Every ball Batty put in was in the right kind of areas. And we may might have just got outbeaten for the ball or fought for it. Like I think Corder had a header that was just a bit too high for him. 
but not once did their keeper sort of come off the line really to come try and collect it because it was just ever so slightly too far away from him. So I'm mm -hmm. really impressed with Batty about that. But I think you're right. It was him that kind of got a hold on the game a bit and worked well with Maz to try and build up the play. And like you say, the way it got to Dippo and we were finding space. That's the thing. We were actually finding space. We haven't competed mm -hmm. well for second balls, but we were starting to find that space and power through. So it, it's quite disappointing the way it turned after that kind of sort of 10 minute period where we felt on top of it. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to mention from the equaliser was just watching the highlights back. It was a very strange reaction from the City mm. players in terms of not really all running over to celebrate with Saziba. Some of them just sort of like looked like they were just yawning and turning around, and a couple <laughs> of them were celebrating, but it didn't look like a, a squad with a lot of togetherness who were sort of pleased to have got back into it. Which, I mean, we have seen bits of that in, in other games, we've seen you know a decent sense of team spirit but it didn't speak of how many in the camp I didn't think. And I'd agree and, and obviously with Ben being there I presume in true York City spirit you were celebrating too much to notice but is that something you've looked back on the highlights Ben at all? Or, or yeah um, what I would say it was it was very hot uh, in mm. the ground like I, I don't know if it was just players maybe knackered already you know <laughs> yeah, it, it, it says a lot that we lost uh, a bit of our play after that almost that it was really hard. I don't think it's an excuse for not like slowly jogging over and sort of celebrating as a team. But that, that, that's the only thing I could maybe think of of why they didn't do it. Is it was, you know, I, I was getting warm just stood there. Um, <laughs> so I can imagine it was tiring almost for some of them. They might be thinking about conserving energy. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little rubbish to be fair, and that's just a very mild excuse if that was the reason. But yeah, it it, it was a bit of a looking back going. You do realize it's one all here. Like we mm. just got back into it. You know, let's let's try and push on for a second. Yeah, and so there was that brief spell where we seemed like we were a bit more competitive in the game, but then a few minutes before half time, unfortunately, another fairly horrendous goal gets conceded. There's uh, Domi, I think the ex the absolute player, is being tracked by Batty, who you know sort of tracks him all the way to the area, but then gets completely outfoxed by him doing something as outrageous as just turning onto his left foot, um, which seems to leave Batty and a couple of our other defenders completely perplexed. Mm. Um, so no one goes with him. And then, yeah, he's just got Whitley to beat, which on Saturday didn't seem too difficult. Actually, that's maybe unfair because he did make a few saves. But, um, but yeah, what was your feeling about this goal? I do have to yeah. mention very quickly, sorry, Ben, that, uh, Batty and uh, I think it's Howard, isn't it? I think they both had to buy a ticket to get back into the ground, didn't they, after this turn? <laughs> they both went to the refreshment stand, didn't they? It was absolutely, I don't want to say embarrassing, that's far far too harsh, but to do two players like that, you just, I wanted to close the stream there and then. I, I can't imagine how you felt there, Ben. Uh, yeah, it was. You, you saw him, like, he starts his run on the halfway line and Batty just track him all the way back, but mm. bar, like, one little touch, Batty's given him maybe half a yard the whole mm. way there as he's tracked him. There's been no kind of pressure onto him. So he's been able just to run with the ball. And then, as you say, he finally turns around and decides, no, actually, I'm going to go back the way I was. Buys the shot right across goal. And I think, you know, for me, Batty's the issue there. He hasn't, you know, put yeah. any kind of pressure on him bar just running next to him. But once again, I thought Whitley could have done a little bit better. You know, I appreciate it's come at a close sort of angle to him and very quickly, but it seems to fire. I mean, does he get a touch on it? Am I right in thinking on that one? I'm not sure, actually. Not. Yeah. I, I mean, you are right, back. Ben, that Whitley did make some good saves in between. There was one that was um, 
going right into the top corner. Uh, I think it's from, oh, what's he called? The one who just scored that goal. Domi. Um, it's, it's Domi, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He made a save for him not long after that, which was a decent yeah. save, yeah. Yeah, it was a really good save from Whitley. That, you know, I don't want to put him down too much, but I do think, once again, on the second goal, I think he could have done better again. But it was Batty's fault, that goal. He let him go far too long. And then, uh, like you say, he had to buy a ticket to get back in. He absolutely sent him one way and then just gave him all that space. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's two on at half time. You know, they've been on top, but we're still in the game. We're only a goal behind. So uh, Tony McMahon's inspirational team talk uh, results in what happens, you know, within the first minute of the second half, which is another dreadful goal conceded. So uh, Sterling James puts in a cross to Tanner and doesn't seem to be anyone really marking him. Um, He puts a shot which is not straight at Whitley, but pretty close to his body um, and Whitley sort of just palms it underneath himself where, where do you think the fault lies for that particular goal I have got a hot take about this one go on uh, you need to go back a little bit further the ball over the top over Latty Fairweather to get through to Sterling um, is just it, the, the camera cuts across because it's a long ball and Latty Fairweather is absolutely nowhere near his man. He's up the field. He's, he's the one that's gone for a, gone to the refreshment stand. He's late getting back for the second half. It's absolutely incredible how far away he is. And it's it's so incredible as how erratic his positioning is. The, the cross comes in completely, you know, easy. You know, there's no one. There's no one there. There's no left back or left wing back to try and stop the cross. And he just makes it look so easy. So I think the blame, you know, the beginning of the blame goes a little bit further back. To be honest with you. And how was it in the ground? Assuming you weren't still queuing at the bar or the <laughs> lose or something, did you did you see this one? No, I was back for this one actually. Um, so yeah, I, I saw both. Uh, it was only the York City goal that I was at the bar for, um, <laughs> but it was the same really. Uh, I mean, if you look back at it, I ended up counting the passes, and if you start like where start the goalkeeper of that passage of play, it was four passes from the goalkeeper until it got oh. back of the net. Five, if you include Whitley's touch, it went from the keeper to the right back. That superb ball over the top. And like when I said earlier about playing three at the back, Fairweather didn't know where he needed to be. Mm-hmm. The back three, when you actually look at it, like I said about you know how playing too deep um, compared to Cordner, yeah, they just absolutely split the defence. Just It seems like all it takes is a ball through somewhere to absolutely split our defence apart and they're not sure where they need to be. It's great mm-hmm. ball in. Was it from Sterling? Yeah. Uh, I then think it was another touch, not a touch, just to kind of get the ball. Like, no one's challenging him. And then, once again, Whitley should have done a lot better. And it reminded me a bit of the second goal we conceded at Dorking. You know, Whitley's got a hand to it and he should have done better. Um, mm. But he's managed to let it go through. You know, it's uh, you don't mind it once, but it, it seems to be... I, I really don't want to put Whitley down. So he has made some played some fantastic games in the past, but it's almost becoming a little bit of a pattern now. And you're you're wanting someone with confidence behind you if you're a defender. I think Whitley's almost needs a good defence in front of him to be a good goalkeeper at this stage. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's another goal that Beal could have been. You know, if we're if we're being generous, that's two goals Whitley should have stopped in that game. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what Ardley makes of the goalkeeper situation. Mm-hmm. Whether because you know we got Rory Watson and Whitley, while Stockdale's out injured, whether he you know favours. Whitley still, or whether he has sort of a fresh pair of eyes on things, and obviously uh, mm-hmm. Maison Campbell is still in the house. 
Um, he, you know, <laughs> quite highly rated. Just signed it, signed a uh, contract extension. So you know, he might get a look in as well. But yeah, going back to the game, so Polion, he had quite a few chances. And I think he scored quite a few for them this season. Had the ball in mm. the net, which was called offside. Commentators said it was a clear offside. It looked pretty close to me watching it back, but probably the right call. But then we did actually have a chance. Castro, who'd just come on. So Castro and Dyson um, came off the bench. And Castro put in what I thought was a really decent chipped cross over to Kai Kennedy, who seemed to be fairly anonymous other than this in his sort of mm. full debut. Um, and yeah, the, the five foot four man almost scores a header. Because it just, um, yeah, it just bounces off the bar. So it, I thought that was a one of the few promising pieces of play that I saw back. I think it, make, it, it, it makes me even more frustrated with Castro, to be honest with you, because he, he's got that in his locker and he doesn't show it all the time, unfortunately. But I think it's an exquisite cross. I think it was done by the camera angle that we see it from. And also, no, you, Ben, you're watching it from directly opposite me, based from where you are on the way end. I thought it was a gorgeous ball and it was just an unlucky header from, from Kennedy. Um, you know he's he's done well to get that onto onto the crossbar, but um, I thought Castro, what a pass that was! Yeah, it was absolutely superb. Um, it was just a little dink, and it, it was one of them that I felt it was always going over Kai Kennedy's mm. header, but the ball was superb. And it, 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 like you say, it's frustrating with Castro because there is a player in there, but the mm. minute it feels like he's a luxury player to have, you know, someone to bring on when we're three nil up or two nil up to just absolutely play them off the park. But it shows what he can do, and um, I really do think that he he could be a good player for us. But he needs to do things like that more consistently. Mm-hmm. So we had that chance. Polion had another chance where he fired over the bar from close range. Probably should have scored. And then finally, he gets his goal to make it four-one. Um, so the simple ball through, but Polion sort of easily outpaces Ryan Fall- Fallerfield. You could um, describe it as Polian Dynamite, maybe. Very good. You having that? Very good. Very um, good. But yeah, he, he uses pace or exposes Fallerfield's lack of pace or lack of confidence playing as a centre-back, maybe. And then, yeah, fires past Whitley to make it 4-1. Any Are we going to be harsh on Whitley again here? Because I thought um, it's kind of through him. Not through him again. It's, to, it's quite to his side, I thought, the shot. It's close to him. Out quick enough. It's close to him, but it is... Fairly, you know, close range shot. It's I didn't necessarily it's blame him for this isn't one. it? Yeah. Um, how did this one look in the ground? If he hadn't already left by this point, <laughs> um, yeah, it was just summed up a bad day, didn't it? Really, you no. Know, once again, it was another mm. ball that just split our defence totally apart. Um, nobody read it. Like no one saw it coming. No one tracked poorly on. Um, Fallafield then couldn't keep up with him. Um, and on this occasion, I don't blame Whitley for the goal. I think he shouldn't have been in that position anyway. I think the ball is just that fast past him, uh, especially when you look at the, if you go on the absolute highlights and you look back from their GoPro angle, I think mm. they're, uh, at that angle, you kind of go, yeah, he's, he's done almost everything right there. He sort of closed him down, made himself big. It's just then that the ball has just gone straight past him, and I think it's just a bit too far past him for him to react in any kind of quick manner. So I think, yeah, I think on this one, Whitley gets a pass, unlike many of our players who couldn't pass much today. <laughs> but yeah, I do think that, it, it, once again, it's the defence, like just not reading the yeah. play, 
We talked earlier about Whitley having a lack of concentration in moments. I'm, I'm wondering if our defenders have several like little lapses in concentration and are too busy thinking about, for want of a better word, the transitions or something else that's just quiet on the mind and they're just almost, they're almost just being passengers in the game, just waiting for something to happen, waiting to receive the ball, waiting for a player to be near them to actually make a tackle rather than actually closing down as they should be. Yeah, there's a definite lack of a clear game plan, which sort of takes us on nicely to the post-match interview with McMahon, really, because, yeah, it finishes 4-1. And I thought he actually spoke a lot of sense in terms of identifying the faults. You know, he said the players weren't doing the basics, they weren't tracking runners. But to be honest, this has been happening all season, and surely that's the responsibility of the coaching staff to instill a system in the players or to train them in the basics so that they are going to be able to you know know who's responsible for for tracking which player know when to cover each other um just the the really simple stuff that means you can't have your defense split by one simple pass you know you don't see these basic errors by teams that are well coached so for McMahon to to identify that fault but then say oh well you know it's it's the players who need to do that themselves that felt a bit um, bit disappointing, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it, not only is it just a straightforward pass um, that we've, we spoke about here, it's the fact that it's a straightforward run. He runs in a straight line through the defence. There's no there's no, you know, there's no, drop of the shoulder, there's no dummy. It's a straightforward run. And he just uses his pace to get past, you know, the the, uh, the, the defensive line there. You know, God bless Farnfield trying to use his um, 100 metre pace from when he was at school, no doubt. But he's, he just gets nowhere near Polion. And so for the coaching staff to point out these basics, it's great. Well, well done. You can see the problem. So can everybody who paid the money to go watch it, you know, or watch it every week. It's doing something about it. And it just the tone and manner of uh, the man's pre- and post-match interviews just struck me as, um, you know, part of the wider malaise. I think that's affected the club at the moment. So just summing up, there was one question I wanted to ask about this game, which was which do you think was the worst goal? If you had to choose... <laughs> Um, and the four we conceded, which was the, which was the most horrific. I'll go. For, I'll let Ben go first this one because Ben was there. It, you know that the feeling of it, watching it happen live, that dejected, deflating feeling is is un, You know you can't compare that to watching it on a stream. So I do want to know what Ben thinks about this. Uh, I think given that you know we had that great spell in the first half, uh, not a long spell, but a great spell that passing play kind of. You're only one down by half time. It's a bit of a killer blow, that second goal. But then you, you just think, all right, let's G yourselves up for the second half. Let's try and get that equaliser again. And let's really try and push Ebsleet here. Let's really sure that almost uh, it wasn't the players' fault. It was Morton's fault. You know, that's what you've got to think. You know, potentially a new manager coming in. Let's show him we are good players. And then within, was it about 50 seconds of the second half and that four passages of play from the keeper to the goal... Whitley deciding that, you know, the best thing to do is just kind of flop around a bit <laughs> and it, it bouncing through. For me, it's got to be that third goal. It, it, it really, it killed the game off. Um, and it made me laugh to talking about McMahon's interview, the fact that he was kind of like, he went, yeah, and that third goal just kills the game off. And it's like when your well, acting manager is saying that after 46 minutes of the game, when there's still another <laughs> sort of 45 plus injury time to get the... Getting another two goals back is just a bit like Christ. Morale must be on the floor. Like, so <laughs> for me, it was the third goal. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Ben? A uh, would you go, go along with that one or 
Did you have an, yeah, a, I'm happy, another particular favourite? Yeah, I'm happy to bow to Ben's live experience there, but I do think um, the first goal set the tone in terms of, you know, uh, with the, it going through his arms and this, that, that moment where you think, ah, of course we've considered a goal just like that um, at this point in the game when we're trying to play some reasonable football. Of course that has happened. So it's that goal summed up the match. It summed up the season so far. It summed up, you know, the the performance of the uh, of the whole squad. Really, it you know, typical city, I have to say. Yeah, well, I did put a question out on the Twitter account, um, just to say, how would you sum up today's performance? Does it rank alongside mm-hmm. previous lows, like the four 0 defeat at Gravesend from two thousand and four, mentioned in last week's pod? I had a few. Interesting replies. Um, So Matt Duckworth said, uh, what could go wrong with a makeshift back five and a lightweight midfield? The thing that really bugged me was the lack of urgency and fight when we were 2-1 down. It was like the players didn't want it to get any worse. To top it all off, the burger van ran out of chips at halftime. Well, that is a a truly distressing story. Joel Stern said, down there with the worst. Make no mistake, we're in big trouble. And Jonathan Stabler got away with a 4-1 defeat, utterly shambolic. So yeah, it seems like people uh, generally think that that is one of the, definitely the recent lows. Just in terms of our start to the season, looking at the stats, it seems like the last time we failed to win any of our first seven league games was uh, 1987. Um, Good year. Good year. Yeah, well I wanted to mention, because so, something happened in 1987, didn't it, Ben? Mm. It did. I mean, both of us two were born. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something's happened in this year, isn't it? We've started a podcast. So I'm not saying we, we have <laughs> some kind of curse that we're put on the club, but, you know, it's it's one to keep an eye out for. It's a price that I'm willing the club to pay. <laughs> but, yeah, just looking at that 1987-88 season, we didn't actually win until our 16th league game, which was on Halloween. Oh, Jesus. And our second win was on was on New Year's Day, our twenty fifth oh league game. God. Oh. So hopefully we're not going to be um, sat here in January discussing Neil Ardley's second win. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but just, hey, if we are, we will be there yeah. discussing it, won't we? Yeah, the banter era like will we have well and truly oh, continued. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of Ardley, let's look ahead briefly to his first game in charge. So we got Boreham Wood at home uh, coming up on Saturday. Uh, I'm hoping to be there for this one, or planning to be there. What are we, what are we expecting from this one? I think Boreham Wood haven't done brilliantly the last few games. They're sort of struggling as well, not scored in a few games. So it might mm-hmm. be a decent one to, to start with. What are we expecting to see? Um... I'm interested in terms like I, I think you're going to get it, it, it strikes me it reminds me of the Mills's first game the uh, 1-1 draw with Bath in uh, in 2010 um, because there was no new players it was a flat 4-4-2 he threw you know the, what seemed like the most reasonable first 11 and from that I think there was about maybe one or two maybe even three players that never played for the club again so it was a case of you know feeling out what what he had at his disposal I think Adley might have to do the same I think he's got obviously a much bigger squad than than that era that we're talking about there, but I don't see. I, I can't envisage any really quick players coming in in terms of you know recruitment. I can't see players coming in too quickly. I think he's going to have a little look at the squad. 
You can see uh, what's what. So I think we'll see the same players that we've been seeing all season. And it just depends um, how hard it makes them run on Thursday and Friday in training, to be honest with you. Well, McMahon gave him two days off, I think, didn't he? And that, that went well. So, Were yeah. any of them getting a car from a dealership in Edinburgh, just out of interest? I don't believe so. That's good. I'm glad to say that we've learned. Yeah, we've learned that particular lesson. Um, but yeah, Ben, any thoughts yourself on uh, on the Barnwood game? Are you going to be there? Uh, no, I'm not actually, Simon. Uh, <laughs> I'm on international duty this weekend. I'm flying no. over to Poland for the weekend to watch Ukraine-England. Oh, um, lovely. So yeah, I will sadly miss the uh, Ardley's first game. Uh, potentially even his last. Who knows? He could get sacked straight away. <laughs> um, but I'd, what I'd want to see if I was there is just... I'd want to see players, it's a cliche, but fighting for the shirt. You know, I'd really want to see them going, look, this is a new manager. If I don't perform well here, I could be out. You know, it'd be interesting to see how the players react to him. I don't think there'll be anything too much different. I think I think from Ardley, what I'd like to see is us just go back to basics and just have a solid performance if possible. Um, as long as we're not embarrassed by like two or three nil to uh, Boreham Wood, who... Can't even get the spacing in their own name right. Um, I'd be quite <laughs> happy if it's if it's one all something like that. Maybe even a two-one defeat, but we look all right. Not that I'd be happy with it, but you you take it. You know, just mm-hmm. as long as it, it shows signs of beginning to improve. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what he makes of the squad because it's kind of a clean slate and everyone's, you know, being looked at as part of one big squad rather than Morton. Kind of, it felt like he had two squads. He had the squad that he built thinking he wasn't going to have much money and players mm-hmm. players who he was quite loyal to who'd done a job last season and then all the new players and maybe that's part of where the frictions come in but yeah as far as Ardley's concerned he's going to he's just going to see a very large group of players is Paddy McLaughlin going to survive another managerial change yes. um, I mean he is because he's a member of staff that's as straightforward as that really he's a popular member of the team he's a popular member of the staff he, he's not going anywhere in terms of the um, overall squad. He might not start as many games, and you know I think we've heard rumours about would you uh, coming close, closer to uh, fitness, haven't we? So I think he'll slowly, you know, be phased out in terms of that um, first eleven. But he's very much part of the setup. Yeah, well, I think that about wraps up uh, our chat of current events at the club. So we are now going to cast our minds back to the city career or careers, perhaps, of Clayton Donaldson. Let's look back to the summer of 2005. Billy McEwen assembling his squad for his first full season in charge of the club uh, brings in a little-known young forward by the name of Clayton Donaldson, uh, recently released by Hull City. Didn't have a huge amount of pedigree. He'd had a few loan spells. Done okay at Harrogate Town, who were very much not a football league club at that time. Uh, Not really impressed at Scarborough or Halifax. So maybe not huge expectations, but fair to say he went on to have a big impact on the club. So yeah, we're going to be looking back at the career of Clayton the Don, Donaldinho Donaldson. Where to start with this one, really? What... I think, Ben Robinson, you were not yet born in 2005. Is that correct, when, <laughs> when the club signed Donaldson? So. Uh, born in the ashes of Booth and Crescent, no. Um, 
but yes, I was alive, um, not necessarily kicking. Yeah, the 06 or 07 season, I think you mentioned you you started going, so you'll be able to, to chip in with memories from that bit. But um, yeah, relying on the older heads for his first season. Uh, so Ben Aspinall, can you think back to summer of 2005? What were your thoughts on, on this particular signing? Can you remember that far back? Well, um, yes, I can. You know, obviously we're basking in a glow of live, uh, live eight, but once we kind of calmed down from that one, and we started looking forward to the 2005-06 season. Um, see, it wasn't just Donaldson's arrival that was, you know, interesting. You had players like um, Manny Panther and uh, Matt Convery. So it was kind of, it wasn't just a focus on him at this point, to be totally honest with you. Um, but I do very clearly remember uh, that first game of the season at home to Crawley. Whilst it was a nil-nil, when you consider how badly um, both Brasses and McEwen's sides had played in the 0405 season, kind of you know limping towards the finish line. To see this attacking, vibrant side, I think it was um, like a 4-3-3, if I remember correctly. Darren Mansaran was up front with Andy Bishop and uh, Clayton Donaldson. I'd never, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I can't believe we're actually attacking these, you know, these poxy non-league teams that we've been forced to share a league with. And Donaldson was such a massive, massive part of that. I mean, he wasn't, you know, immediately on the score sheet or anything like that. Obviously, I think. I believe his first goal is that absolute classic at home to uh, to Cambridge. But I do remember him, but as well as, you know, the other 05 signings, just thinking, this is great. I, I love this. I'm absolutely made up with this. So um, immediately there was, you know, there was an impact for me straight away. Yeah, so he didn't score in his first five games. Did put on a lovely assist for one of Joe O'Neill's hat-trick goals against Southport. Um, little mm. run and cross for, for that. But then, yeah, his first goal is maybe sort of his best-known goal for the club, really, which is the goal he scores in a 1-0 home win against Cambridge. So he gets the ball in his own half and basically just uses his pace to beat the defender, cuts inside, slots it under the keeper. And that's sort of, yeah, the quintessential Donaldson goal, I guess, that would, you know, he went on to do that quite a few times. But, yeah, I can remember seeing him do that. You think, okay, this is something... You know, someone a bit different to what we've had before. Maybe who's who's got mm-hmm. pace, who's got trickery, who's who's going to allow us to hit teams on the counter and and be really dangerous in that sense. Um, I agree. So yeah, he opened his account in that game, and then he had a real sort of uh, purple patch in September and October. He got seven goals in eight games, um, and one that I wanted to pick out was another one where he sort of ran from near the halfway line, which was a goal in a 4-2 home win against Exeter. And he mm. sort of beats a couple of players this time, so a bit of trickery as well. And then it's a lovely finish from just outside the area, um, sort of into the into the near post corner. Do you remember that one as well? Yeah, I do. Uh, I remember coming back from university for this particular match, as I did for quite a lot of um, home games in this particular season. I, I remember this match being like a stone-cold classic, you know, just absolute ding-dong between two you know, hurting ex-Football League sides, Exeter, quite a quite a reasonably big team. And it was just a great back-and-forth match. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it was kind of like chaotic early McEwen side against um, a very, very strong non-league side. And the season before, it's like a type of game that we'd have struggled in, but under this new manager, under this new uh, setup, it was a fantastic match. And um, it, was, it was Bishop as well as Donaldson, being a big part of that uh, of that new uh, mentality, but in this match in particular, absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, the the club in general had a flying start that season, really. We were flying pretty high in the table after, you know, the first couple of months. Uh, and Donaldson had been an integral part of that. Obviously, you mentioned Andy Bishop as well, mm-hmm. who, you know, scored even more goals than Donaldson did that season. We hit sort of a, a bit of a trickier patch in about November, December. So we actually went a couple of months without winning a game and Donaldson didn't score at all in that time until we played Scarborough, so one of his former clubs at home on Boxing Day. Um, interestingly, watching the highlights back, it seemed like Scarborough fans were booing him. Not sure what he'd done to offend them in, in his two <laughs> games on loan there. But he had the last laugh, um, scored a nice little volley uh, from an Andy Bishop cross uh, in a 3-1 win. But yeah, it's that was sort of a bit of a, a drier spell. I think that's middle third of the season is what cost us a, a playoff chance that season. Would you say, yeah, Ben, is that true. how you remember it? Yeah, I remember that. And just we had a bit of a um, jump ahead. We had a bit of a, a poor end to the season as well. I think we there's about maybe lost three or four games. We didn't score even score a goal in, if, if that if that's accurate. Yeah, it, it seemed like it was a work in progress. We got excited by the start of the season, but it became apparent that it wasn't. It was not the finished article, which explained the arrival of players like um, Neil Bishop would come in that in that winter so you could see something was happening it was nowhere near the finished article but it was really really exciting and uh, you were really hoping it was going to be both um andy bishop and and uh, the don take us into the following season but unfortunately that's uh that wasn't to be was it yeah i mean they'd struck up quite a decent understanding it's worth saying that donaldson ended up with 18 goals in all competitions that season but he did set up quite a lot of goals for andy bishop as well either by laying them on with assists or he won quite a lot of penalties as well. Uh, he seemed uh-huh. to attract a lot of fouls, and it was Bishop who was on penalties that season, uh, which maybe partly explained why he, he was the one who scored more. But yeah, that summer, Bishop leaves, and Donaldson's got a new strike partner in the form of Craig Farrell, maybe a slightly different kind of player. But it felt like that partnership really brought the best out of Donaldson, actually. Farrell, not very prolific himself, but in terms of his link-up play and his selflessness... He really seemed to be someone that Donaldson hit it off with straight away, really. It's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Because you think of the goals that together Bishop and Donaldson got the seat in 0506, and then you think, well, actually, the top scorer goes, and it's a lot more pressure on a young man. He's still, what, 21, 22 at this point, and he just excels. He absolutely embraces it, and we kind of change tactic a little bit. It's Farrell and... Um, Wolford is brought in to, to get the assists and, and the, and the build-up play. And uh, Donaldson, yes, to finish it. it, it and he, he stepped up to the plate magnificently. He, the, the, the side changes around him a little bit, and we're even better than the season before. I'd like to bring in another name there, if possible, Ben, that I thought really mm-hmm. helped support Donaldson. Mr. Steve Bowie. I always thought oh, yes. he really yeah, he helped um, from the centre of midfield, like uh, linking mm-hmm. Donaldson uh, with, you know, like Wolford and Farrell. Yeah, I think I that's, a, that's a good shout. I mean, he obviously only had one season with the club, but again, watching the highlights back, he sort of forgot how integral he was to that team, um, Steve Bowie. But in terms of the start to the 06-07 season, Donaldson scored in four of the first five games. We won all four of those games, and the link-up play between him and Farrell was kind of really key to that. It, you know, there was uh, a couple where Farrell set him up really nicely. There was a goal against Burton... Uh, one away at Gravesend, where you really thought, okay, you know, we might have lost Bishop, but maybe we we found a different way of playing. That's uh-huh. you know, 
you mentioned uh, McEwen's early time at the club was maybe a bit chaotic. Maybe we found a better balance in terms of being a little bit more solid, uh, mm-hmm. but still having having Donaldson as that outlet who's who's going to get us enough goals. And yeah, he was just first half of that season at least he was um, just unstoppable. Really, it, you started to think, okay, he's he's going to play at a higher level um, sooner mm-hmm. rather than later. He, he kept his strong story, scoring record up till Christmas, so his twentieth goal comes on the sixth of January. And he was now on penalties as well, it's worth saying. So, you know, that's going to add to his tally a bit. Any other sort of standout memories of, you know, his play from this season, either of you? Uh, my first game was that season. And I do remember him and Farrell up front. It was at home to Southport. And as a sort of, I think, about nine-year-old then, I was absolutely sort of, I just almost learning the game myself. And thankfully, back in those days formations were dead easy to work out so I just always remember <laughs> it was like simple 4-4-2 maybe 4-3-3 now and again but Donaldson and Farrell up front I just remember them being almost the a really nice complimentary strike partnership I just almost remember falling in love with Donaldson a bit and how he presented himself as that main man, the man that got the goals for York, you know that for me that's my abiding memory of that season positively about Donaldson. Um, I should also say in my first game, we conceded after 22 seconds in possibly <laughs> the most York City way going. But yeah, Donaldson, I thought, complimented Farrell really well and Farrell complimented Donaldson really well. It was almost really good of Farrell to kind of let Donaldson be that main man. And I think, like you say, Donaldson, you almost forget how young he was back then because um, mm-hmm. he, he almost just seems ever-present. But I thought Donaldson was almost epitomised a footballing striker for me. I guess we should come on to the fact that there was a lot of transfer speculation partway through the season. He, he was offered a new contract at the club, which he rejected. Fair enough. You know, there was a lot of interest from teams higher up the pyramid. I think there was talk of Wolves being interested. Peterborough seemed to be signing like every non-league player they could get their hands on at that point. <laughs> they were sniffing around uh, Scunthorpe, who were... You know, championship or League One at the time, they were they were doing all right. Um, so there was there was interest from a lot further up, and it felt like we were maybe resigned to losing him. Was that the way you guys saw it? I think what really got me about Donaldson, you kind of knew at Christmas January he was probably going to go at its end of the season for free, and the argument online was and with your mates was, well, do you take the money now and you know sabotage a season or do you risk it and? Well, but then you say, well, we've offered the contract, so we should be able to get some compensation. So you had that to fall back on. Yeah, well, just I to, certainly was of the opinion we had to keep him. Just to jump in there, there was the fact that he was under 24, I think it was, meant that we, in theory, couldn't end up out of pocket because we would have to be adequately compensated if he, if he moved on somewhere else within the English mm-hmm. Football League system at the end of that yes. season. Um, it might have been that that was set by a tribunal or something. I can't remember the detail, but so yeah, you, you either had the, the tra- guaranteed transfer fee in January and there were some bids that came in and were rejected or, you know, hold on to until summer, but still get some money at the end of it. Uh-huh. Just looking, I mean, in terms of what fee he might have commanded, I had a quick look that Peterborough bought Aaron McLean that same season, paid 150 grand for him, who uh-huh. probably didn't even have as good a, scoring record or pedigree at the time so it feels like that 
would have been maybe the minimum we would have got for him, which, mm-hmm. you know, was decent money at the time. What did you think, Ben? Obviously, idolising him in your first season watching the club, were you thinking he might stay or were you sort of resigned for, to him moving on as well? Um, I think in my naive football knowledge, I thought he was going to end up signing a new contract at the end of the season and fall in love with York and be the striker forever. However, no, I thought you, you kind of knew other clubs were going to get him, you know, at some point, whether that was January or at the end of the season. And as Ben says, you had that almost safety net of the potential Bosman fee. But I think, you know, you, you look back on it and that was York's first almost successful season in Long League. Got to remember mm-hmm. like, back at the time, that was the lowest York had ever been. Boy, mm-hmm. if only we could go back and tell uh, 2005 Ben Aspinall how much worse it does get. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I do think that, you know, that, that was the worst it had been. You, you take that risk of knowing that you probably will end up in a playoff spot and that shot uh, going up because, you know, at the time we were one of the biggest clubs in that league. You know, what is a Morecambe, mm-hmm. so to speak? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that was the one thing that you could hold on to the hope that maybe if we do get into playoffs and we do sneak up, you know, he'll get league football with us. So maybe that'd be enough of a carrot to to stay on. But yeah, the, everything sort of turns. There's a there's a game we play against Kidderminster in January where he gets sent off uh, for an alleged elbow on one of their players. I did watch it back. It's, it's tricky to say whether it was a red or not, but I guess we don't really need to analyse that. Um, you know, 16 years on. But while he's suspended, and um, there's the announcement that he signed a pre-contract agreement with Hibernian, which kind of comes out of nowhere, really, and it becomes clear that that means that the club aren't going to get any money as a result because the same rules don't apply in Scotland. And this is sort of where some fans sort of seem to blame Donaldson for it. Um, was that how it felt? To you guys at the time as well? Well, firstly, let's be thankful it's not a wedding he went to. (laughs) That's very naughty, Ben. (laughs) Um, um, I think I remember at the time feeling that element of betrayal because you're you're a young football fan and, you know, to hell with whoever's career it is. I want my team to do the best, etc. And then the compensation aspect just kind of was the um, awful cherry on top of the awful cake. Not to forget that, you know, he was not actually doing, if I remember correctly, he wasn't actually in a great vein of form around his time. I think it's after this, after he comes back from that suspension and the, you know, the agreement with Hibs has been announced, that's when his form dips a bit. And that's why mm. I think people started saying, oh, you know, he's he, he's not putting the effort in. He's just got his, his mind on Hibs and sort of saving himself for that big move. And that was, yeah, when people were questioning his motivation at that point. But then he did score a hat-trick in a 5-0 win at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it wasn't like he, he completely went off the boil. But yeah, he didn't keep up the same kind of scoring record. Like I say, 6th of January, he scores his 20th goal. He only makes it to 26. Say only, that's obviously a very, very decent return. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's an argument that maybe his... His form is affected by all the speculation and the idea that he's that he's moving. Mm. Obviously, he can never prove that, but he's still kind of the main man in terms of the focus point of our attack. We still do enough to get over the line in terms of securing a playoff place, mm-hmm. which leads us on to the um, his sort of last 
big contribution in that spell at the club, which was the, the playoff semi-final second leg at Morecambe. So we'd drawn the first leg nil-nil. And then, yeah, Donaldson's, Donaldson's running through. Their keeper, Stephen Drench, comes flying out. There's a collision. And, yeah, I still don't understand why Drench wasn't sent off. Were you both at this game so it, as well? I was at this game and the sheer bemusement in the away end, because it was obviously um, the home end saw up close and personal. Drench's um, assault on the Don. Um, I think the uh, Clayton said as any subsequently, I think it was two broken ribs. Um, but the fact that the goalkeeper goes off injured, I think at the time, kind of saves him from a red. It's just like, oh, right. Okay. And the fact that Donaldson didn't even take the penalty, has to be, uh, Barry don't take, uh, stands up and take it. Yeah, I think Donaldson shows, had, had taken all our penalties that season. So he was obviously not right after that challenge to say that he, mm-hmm. he didn't step up to take that one. Obviously did play on in that game, but yeah, maybe was still feeling the effects. Mm-hmm. Um, were you at that game as well, Ben? No, I was uh, watching it on Sky Sports, but I do vividly remember thinking that was a red. I think even the commentators at the time were astounded he wasn't sent off. You know, it was clear and an obvious foul, and at the time it was a definite red. And mm-hmm. you sort of think, how much would that game have changed if he had gone off? Mm-hmm. Yeah, whole different version of history if we'd, if we'd won that game, potentially. Although it's not necessarily... Drench's fault that we let in uh, fairly terrible goals in that game. But um that, that that's Tom Evans' fault, so yeah. Yeah. So we don't have that sort of send off on a high in terms of we're going up. But still he's had a couple of seasons at the club and you know, they've been, like you say, that our most successful in non league so far. And he's been one of the best strikers at the club, probably, you know, since Paul Barnes, someone like that. In terms mm-hmm. of someone who was um, near the top of the scoring charts, who was exciting the fans. And yeah, we'll just briefly look at sort of his, his non-City career because it didn't really work out at Hibs. And I, I sort of wonder whether his choice of destination set his career back a little bit because, yeah, he played a few times, but he was only there a season. Couldn't really force his way into the team and he ends up moving back to England with Crew. And having three seasons there, mostly in League Two, whereas I felt like he was probably ready for a higher level than that, even then. Mm-hmm. And maybe if he if he'd chosen a different club, might have played at a higher level even earlier. But yeah, he has three seasons at Crew. That that last season he's there, he scores twenty eight goals in the league, so that's a particularly successful one. And uh, then moves to Brentford in League One. Another three seasons there, again, regularly playing. Still, um, yeah, regularly scoring. So he's he's pretty much doing well everywhere he's going. In his last season at Brentford, they get promoted up to the championship. Um, So he would have been playing in the championship anyway, but actually that summer makes the move to Birmingham, who are also in the championship. But yeah, interestingly, it's not until he's hit 30 that he actually plays in the championship. Mm. He ends up sort of having five decent seasons at that level. Um, Mm Mm-hmm obviously shows he looked after himself in terms of his fitness and so on so he's at Birmingham then Sheffield United and then Bolton then drops down to League Two with Bradford as his career is sort of winding down and then in the summer of 2021 it's announced that he's coming back to the promised land he's signing for National League Northside York City what was your feelings at the time when this was announced 
I was really excited because it was um, it was pure nostalgia that drove uh, you know that, that was driving me. Um, the announcement video was very well done, you know, the CD on the on the uh, whiteboard. I was I was very very excited. It was um, a callback to when I was uh, younger, so I I was really looking forward to it. The only thing I was very perplexed about was it kind of felt like um, a luxury signing in that we we had Willoughby, we had Gilchrist, and we had I think Beck on loan as well. So it's kind of like well. Are we playing four three three? We're doing the old school four four two. I mean, who's who's up front with who? So I was very very confused about his role, but in terms of initial reaction, I was I was really excited. I, I agree with you, Ben. In terms of initially, it was pure nostalgia. I was really happy to to see a player from my first ever season play one final time. You know, you got to think that's a got fifteen year spell. I've managed to still be seeing players that I saw originally, but then I started to question why have we signed him? And as you say, we had plenty of strikers. <laughs> sort of on the books at the time that were good and having a Bolton supporting mate, he said he's one of the worst players he's seen play for Bolton and then obviously <laughs> went to Bradford and uh, one of my Bradford supporting mates uh, told me at the time uh, that he'd be really good for us at that level. He still did a job in League Two for Bradford, but they were playing him in central midfield uh, or <laughs> at least at least a little bit further back than a striker. So I was a bit almost confused, but... Oh, how wrong I was to question that because I do <laughs> feel that although he wasn't really a starting striker for us, he was definitely a man whose experience was invaluable that season. Yeah, I mean, they say never go back and we'd had people return previously and it hadn't really worked out. So I was maybe a little bit sceptical. But <clears throat> similarly, you know, the excitement of um, remembering how good he was first time round. I think he'd sort of evolved into a different kind of player by this point as well. I mean, you mentioned him playing in midfield for Bradford. I didn't know about that, but he certainly wasn't relying on his pace in the same way. I sort of think of him as almost a bit of a gangly player when he was with us first time round, but he'd really sort of bulked up over his career and um, was much more sort of using his physicality um, instead of just relying on sort of pace and skill. So we were under Steve Watson and he was... Initially, at the start of the season, it was a front three with with Beck and Donaldson and Willoughby either side, which in theory is a really good front three at that level. And Donaldson did go on a little run of form near the start of the season where he got six goals in four games, with the caveat that uh, four of those goals were against lower league opposition in the FA Cup. But even still, <laughs> um, you know, it was a good a good start to his you know second coming at the club. But then things didn't really work out with Watson. Obviously, we had Askey coming in and ultimately taking over. And that's when Donaldson's role seemed to kind of change a little bit. Askey obviously brought John Lewis in, and it seemed like he saw Donaldson as mostly backup to John Lewis. Would you say that's fair? I do, but also it's quite strange because I didn't quite think Donaldson was the powerhouse that uh, that shop uh, was in that promotion season he still clearly had a role but I never saw him as that front one striker with you know runners aside of him which probably I should have thought of him as it's certainly in the way that you know uh, John Lewis was there was they were different and yet at the same time quite similar it was very very strange but yeah I, th- I agree I think um, he clearly became much more of a bit part um, player uh, under under asking more of an impact sort of player and um, it kind of became apparent that the shop was the main man in, in an attacking sense. But he definitely still had a role to play um, in that final third as we made that push for the playoffs. A lot of his goals were sort of 
maybe poachers finished more or there's a few headers. There weren't the old mazy runs. But yeah, he was definitely still um, you know, causing trouble for, for opposition defences. Yeah. I remember early in the season uh, against Spennymore, away at Spennymore, they were it, it it was we lost all of the opening three games, went to Spennymore kind of going almost what we've been doing with Morton going, Oh, might Watson go if we don't beat Spennymore and lose our first four opening games? Um, but Donaldson played unbelievably. Um, I think he got an assist for Willoughby, like playing it right across the front for him to tap in and score a great goal himself. And then, like you were saying, similarly, even though his role changed, I still remember at home to Gateshead where uh, I think in like the last few minutes, he managed to get a good head on the ball, argument about whether it went over the line or not, but he still scored. And then the away game against Blythe, unbelievable, you know, just doing the job he needed to do. Um and there's not many players I think you can say took on the role of the older player so as well as Donaldson did in that season. Yeah, and and even though he wasn't necessarily starting every game under Askey, there were still some some good moments. Um, I mean, we'll come on to people's thoughts via Twitter, but a few people mentioned the Penenka penalty at Dagenham. I think it was the trophy quarterfinal where we'd we're one nil down, sort of been second best, but then get a penalty deep into stoppage time and yeah Donaldson has the uh, has the balls to do a penenka and uh, yeah it's uh, that's a nice little moment uh, were either of you at that game? I wasn't at this game I imagine Ben was I was at the game yeah and I was uh, <laughs> it was the 96th minute I decided to just start to walk down the stairs so I could get a good leg back to the station back into central London but I thought you know what I'll just see it out and then I was right down at the front when the penalty was given so I was already there to <laughs> charge behind the goal ready for Donaldson's Penenka and I was right in line with it and I remember as soon as it left his foot before it even crossed the line you knew it was in it was a beautiful mm-hmm. that was a great moment and it's worth saying he did find his way back into the team for you know the playoff semi and final um, so mm-hmm. obviously considered a you know important player for the big occasions and definitely um, put a shift in I think in those um, especially the uh, the Brackley semi, if I remember correctly, because I think uh, the shot goes for injured, doesn't he? John Lewis goes off with the, yeah. the rib injury that he scored, that, that he got actually scoring scoring the eventual winner. But obviously Donaldson then moves into the middle uh, and he does the job that I was describing earlier about, you know, trying to hold it up, trying to bring others into play. And, um, you know, I don't think he's as good as John Lewis at that particular role, but he put in a fantastic effort. Like, really showed his mettle and his worth in that particular second half. So, um, yeah, really good memories of that one. I think you look back at Donaldson's York City career, and I think out of all the players that we know of, he's probably got the best redemption arc for me in terms of we were going for promotion and then perhaps his move to Hibs derailed our promotion uh, in the playoffs. Uh, maybe his head wasn't quite in it for a few games and you know just enable it to tail off a little bit. Um, and it almost went in. A bit of bad blood between him and supporters, the fact he went for free in the end, not that it was necessarily his fault. Um, Mm -hmm. But then to come back in a season and be such an experienced leader uh, and win promotion in his final game for us, you know, I think it's a redemption arc of a player. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't think of anyone better than him, really. Yeah, I think that's what's so so good about the comeback season is that it, it kind of, yeah, balanced out the the way he left first time round and maybe people thinking that, you know, okay, he was a good player for us, but, you know, was he the best in terms of a 
of a character who's left a positive impact. But yeah, I think this this really showed you know the, what a decent bloke he was as well to have around the club, um, mm-hmm. and and yeah, just to sort of cement his status in in the club's history, really. Yeah, um, I also would like to add um, the euphoria of uh, Maz Kuya's uh, second, oh, oh sorry, York's second goal by Maz against Boston. I think it's good play by Donaldson in the build up. I think he's one who kind of lays on, not so much the assist, but you know he calmly just receives the ball and passes it forward to Maz to, to keep the play going, to show that experience, that know how to keep you know to keep uh, the pressure on Boston. He he really did have that fantastic uh, you know final third of the, of the promotion season under Askey. And uh, the, the idea of a redemption arc, I think, is spot on. Um, he righted any potential wrongs from 2007, and he did it in a fantastic way. Yeah, and I think it was great to see, like, there's a Jamaican flag in the South Stand. And <laughs> I remember just thinking, you know, some of the, the lads sort of, you know, chatting his name would probably wear nappies when he was at the club first time around. So, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it just shows sort of his longevity and his, his impact on the club, um, yeah, across both spells. Mm-hmm. Just to move across to some Twitter responses that we had. Um, so I'd basically ask for people's memories or standout moments from Donaldson's two spells at the club. Um, so we had one from Will Harris. First time around the sheer pace and power. Scored some ridiculous solo FIFA-style goals. Second time around being a consummate professional, running himself into the ground out of position in the 4-3-3 in the playoff final at 38 years old. Elvington Red said he should have got an extra year. Standouts are the home goals v Exeter and Cambridge, um, yeah, which we touched on. Uh, Dylan Hildreth, his first goal for City v Cambridge when he ran the length of the pitch with the ball, yet only took about three touches. He was that quick. <laughs> then in his last that appearance, might, that, that, that might be true. Actually, he does very rarely touch that ball. He just bangs it forward, doesn't he? Yeah, I'd have to watch it back to to count them. But um, yeah, then in his last appearance, being the best player on the pitch. In the playoff final, a couple of people mentioned the um, the Markham game. So Bobinson Crusoe says, getting clattered by the Markham keeper who should have been sent off in the playoffs. Other would be joining Hibbs, ensuring we didn't get a fee. Being more generous, a couple of belting goals, carrying the ball from halfway line once against Exeter. Other possibly Cambridge. So yeah, I think that that's been a decent sort of look back at um, certainly one of my favourite players. I think that during my time supporting City. I think um, I think just being very conscious of time, Sire, and I do want to ask this very, very quickly, I think we make it kind of a, a one-word, maybe one-sentence answer, if it's okay with everybody. With, with hindsight, with what happened with Askey, with what happened last season, would you have kept, would you personally have kept uh, Donaldson for one more year? Simon? That's a tricky one to, to sum up in, in a short <laughs> space of time because there's always that nostalgia or that sort of romantic side of you. A year older in a higher league, as a player, it's probably not, you know, the best move to give him a, a, another year. But mm-hmm. in terms of his influence in the dressing room and stuff, maybe maybe that would have been worth it. I'm not sure. Um, mm-hmm. What what are your thoughts? Well, what do you reckon, Ben? Uh, I'd say no. Um, quite simply, I think he went out in the perfect manner, um, and then I think the fact that he ended up dropping up below another division to Gainsborough for a season after all is kind of almost. You know, like you said, I don't think he'd do it in a league above necessarily. His experience was invaluable. I think the way he went out, not many, you know, we know how so rarely York are successful. He went out as a winner at York City uh, and almost as a hero. 
So I think it was the right decision. And looking back as well, the, the debate at the time was, do we keep Donaldson or do we keep Willoughby out of the two? I think at the mm. time I'd go for Willoughby if we were to keep one of them. Um, so for me, he left as at the perfect time. I, I would say at the time I wanted to keep him. Hindsight, I did want. To, I, I think he could have done a job in even in a chaotic, you know, things that happened at the club in terms of the management coming and going. But I think Ben, you've completely swayed me. He had the redemption arc. He had the moment at at the stadium helping us get promotion back into the league, where he left us. So he did a job he was brought in to do. So I think that's um, that's swayed me. I've changed my mind. I, I think we're right to, to say goodbye at that point. Yeah, and he, of course he's gone into management now uh, with Farsley. Mm-hmm. So um, and yeah, I think he managed to uh, injure one of our new signings as well in a preseason game. So <laughs> still, uh, still, still um, having. An if, if only, if only it was broken ribs. Full circle. Well, yeah, but yeah, um, that's been an enjoyable one to to look back on. Hopefully, you guys listening have enjoyed it too. Get in touch if there's anything we we missed, any particular memories you wanted to mention. But yeah, I think that just about brings us to the end of another episode. First of all, thanks to Ben Robinson for being our first guest. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun having you on. Hopefully, no, thank um, you for having me on. It's been absolutely superb, and it's been fantastic to talk about Clayton Donaldson, especially at the end, and also how madly run this football club is at times. <laughs> And yeah, we uh, we will say thanks again uh, for listening, everyone. Um, hopefully, the uh, the Ardley era will will start on a good note this weekend. Um, anything you wanted to to add, Ben, today? Yeah, very quickly, just the usual. Um, if you guys don't already, uh, our socials, our Instagram and Twitter are at Same Old City Pod. Give us a follow on both of them if you would. We're sharing some content on there if you get involved in, and also just to reconfirm, we are now back. At, uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, uh, so if you could leave a five-star review. Um, I noticed that somebody this week left a review with the title of Adam Arthur, which is greatly appreciated for those of uh, mid noughties um, persuasions in the Oxy contingents. That did get a little rice ri- smile out of me, so thank you for that. If you guys could leave some reviews, help spread the word about the podcast. We really want to get some uh, you know, more, more interaction with you guys, but um, the ones who do listen and take part, we do really appreciate it, so thank you. Yeah, old school mate of mine, Adam Arthur. He was uh, in the year above <laughs> me. He used to occasionally, yeah, join uh, our games on a on a lunchtime. Um, but yeah, I assume it's possibly not the real one who's left that review. Mm. I was interested in the review by not Ben's wife as well. So good for mm-hmm. whoever that Could was to, to clarify Could that they are not your wife, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I appreciate all the reviews that that we've had so far. But if you if you are enjoying it. Like I say, it is a big help to um, to get those reviews. But yeah, um, I guess until next time then, uh, thanks very much for listening. Cheers, guys. Keep the faith. <laughs>